Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Streming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Hey, everybody. You may have noticed that last week I put out a replay, and that replay was... Puppies are hard. When I recorded that episode, I didn't have a puppy, but I have one now, and that's why I re-released it. Puppies are hard. They're wonderful. They're the best thing ever, and also kind of the worst. A few things I've been pondering since I picked up my new addition, whose name is Carson, and she's a Border Collie, are that my last puppy, Rhea, my Icelandic sheepdog, really allowed me to trust myself in a way that I haven't been able to before. Because it's hard to trust yourself when you've had things go wrong. And I'm an experienced behavior consultant, and I help a lot of people with a lot of problems. And I've had my own personal dogs have a lot of problems. Rhea is the first puppy I've had for whom everything that was kind of supposed to work did work. And everything I thought was correct turned out to be correct. For that reason, she's the easiest puppy I've ever raised. And not coincidentally, she's the only non-Border Collie puppy I've ever raised for myself. I've had other puppies spend considerable amounts of time with me before, but raising one as your own is a different story. So if you've got a puppy and you should know things, but you're having a hard time trusting that you know what's right, know that that's okay. That's about your learning history. It's hard to trust yourself when you've had things go wrong. And I hope that you are blessed with a puppy who proves to you that you do know what you're doing at some point. Because knowing stuff, it's really kind of hard sometimes. Like I know how bad things can go. I know that this puppy could be an incredible dog or a disaster and that those things hinge on a lot of my actions. I also know just how bad things can go because I've helped clients through really, really tough situations. And that's a burden, honestly. Knowing where each little kind of glimmer of maybe apprehension or startle or frustration knowing where those things can go if left unchecked is hard sometimes it's hard to sit with all of that information so a few things that are a good idea to do if you're raising a puppy right now and you're sitting with that information would be number one get some sleep get some sleep however you need to that might mean that the puppy goes and stays with someone else It might mean that the puppy takes a nap in the car with the other dogs. It might mean that you talk to your veterinarian about some pharmaceutical help. Get some sleep. Manage the puppy with food. It's okay to feed them a lot. It's okay if they're a little chunky because you are constantly asking them to eat instead of do that terrible thing that they're doing. If you're lucky enough to have an adult dog that likes to play with your puppy, let them play. Don't worry that they will love that dog more than you and that they'll never do sports with you or whatever else. Just let them have a good time. 
if the good time starts to shift into conflict or gets a little bit too rough, interrupt it. But let the dogs play together. It's not the end of the world. Let the puppy explore nature. Let them dig a hole. Let them chew up a pine cone. Let them obliterate a stick they found. When you quit stressing out about all of these things, you help yourself and you help the puppy. There is no timeline. Any timeline anybody gives you is fake. There is not a socialization window that slams shut at 12 weeks. They continue to learn. They continue to take in experiences after that age. There isn't anything that they have to learn now that they can't learn later. If somebody tells you there is, it is mythology. Do not sideline things that are important to you. When I say they can learn everything later, that doesn't mean that you should allow them to learn a bunch of stuff that they're going to have to unlearn. Unlearning is always hard. So try to focus on not building habits they will have to unlearn, even if that means you're just food managing and you're not teaching them the true stuff that you want them to know quite yet. You are not too late, regardless of what we're talking about or what anyone tells you. And finally, enjoy your puppy. They don't stay little very long. They don't smell so good and feel so soft very long. So, you know, soak it up. Quit worrying so much about the future and think about how wonderful they are right here, right now, and kiss that little pink belly for me. If you're interested in following Carson's first year of life, I am outlining it pretty extensively over in my membership. So please join me there. Cheers. And a few Patreon questions for you. The first one comes from Mabry. She writes, I'm bringing home a puppy that I want to trial agility with. This is not the only goal. And I was wondering if you have any games or skills you teach to help them with focus slash commitment. Thank you. Love the podcast. So Mabry, first of all, congrats on your puppy. And for me, I am all about teaching the dogs reinforcer skills and engagement skills rather than kind of high adrenaline wild games or anything like that. I highly recommend you checking out my agility coach, Megan Foster. Her program is FX Agility, and we will link that for you in the show notes. Next one comes from Nina. Nina writes, I'm taking an online training course with a well-known R plus trainer. And she said that when working with a hierarchy of reinforcement, once you move up the ladder, you are unable to come down again. I.e., once you bring out the hot dog, you can never revert back to kibble. She also defined a high rate of reinforcement as a large quantity of rewards after each rep not as frequent rewarding of many approximations. This is contrary to what I understood about the definitions of both a treat ladder and a high rate of reinforcement. I am as good as quoting her here and have rewatched the videos a lot to make sure I'm not misunderstanding. Am I missing something? So Nina, I do disagree with both of the things that you just said or that she told you. Certainly I go up and down my hierarchy of reinforcement all the time. In fact, I was just in puppy class with my young border collie puppy today, and I was using Zwe Peak and also Rotisserie Chicken. And those are both high value rewards to her, but the Rotisserie Chicken, 
obviously more delicious than probably anything she's had in her life so far. And I was going up and down and even within the same behavior. So that's just one example, but I do go up and down all the time. I would encourage you to ask the instructor to clarify that one for you. As far as the rate of reinforcement goes, technically giving a lot of treats per rep or getting a lot of reps in with a one-to-one ratio both qualify as a high rate. A high rate is just how much food or how much rewards are you giving within a time limit. And so technically that's not untrue, but that isn't how I do things. This is a thing, dog training's all over the place. What she's doing is probably working for her. And if you were to do it and it was working for you, I would say no big deal. So I do encourage you to have dialogue with her, but only so far as it is helpful to you. Thanks for your question. Next one's from Diane. Diane writes, Oliver is my first agility dog, a four-year-old Parson Russell Terrier who loves agility practice in the yard and at the training center. We started trialing when Oliver was two and then took more than a year off because I had surgery. During my rehab, we continued obedience, rally, and nose work. Recently starting agility trials with no food rewards, how can I get him to focus on me with all the distractions? First run of the day, he's usually fine. How can I get him off the start line and stop him from running around visiting? We love your podcast. So, Diane, thanks for writing in. Just like I told Mabry, I would recommend checking out FX Agility, getting some online additional help to the in-person help that you're doing. You asked a few different questions here. The first question regarding how do you get him to work without the food rewards, that's something that needs to be trained in practice. He needs to be taught that his food is waiting for him at the end of the run. There's a lot of systems and processes for doing that. There's some information in my membership and there's a lot more information over in FX Agility. If he degrades over the day at your trial, it may be because he's realizing that you're not gonna pay him in the ring, so it could be that first problem that you brought up. It could be that he's stressed. It could be that the trial's hard for him. There's lots of different stuff that's going on. But if one thing is true, if he's running around and visiting or not wanting to break off the start line, he should not be entered in trials. He is not ready to be entered in trials. You have a lot more work to do. And the good news is there's lots of help for you. So again, FX Agility, and I hope to see you over in my membership as well, where I've got a couple of webinars that will help you. Next one comes from Leah. Leah writes, I'm wondering how you handle off-leash greetings that don't go well, i.e. when a dog is coming in hot, rushing towards your dogs on the trail, owner within sight but not in control, or a mutual sniff turns into the other dog reacting. Consequently, is there anything you do for your dogs after a bad interaction? So I've talked about this many times. It's okay that you're asking. I just want to say that if you kind of go back through other episodes, there's tons of information on this. If I think the other dog's going to be a problem, I will stop that dog with either spray shield or throwing food. If I don't think the dog is a problem and I can let the dogs interact, I let them interact, but I have my hand on my spray shield so that I can break up an altercation if it does break out. If my dogs have a kind of yucky interaction with other dogs, we just keep walking. We just move on with our lives. I try not to stress too hard about it. We might do a big kibble scatter once we are gone from that dog. And it's important to just kind of round out the walk, continue the walk and complete that stress cycle. Last one this week comes from Nadia. Nadia writes, longtime listener, new Patreon subscriber. Thanks, Nadia. 
I have a 10 month old miniature poodle who is in general pretty confident and loves to meet new people. Once the weather started warming up and the parks in our neighborhood got busier, I noticed some fearful behavior toward kids, specifically when they are running near him making sudden movements or loud noises. He met kids with his breeder and then saw them in our neighborhood when we brought him home, but we don't know anyone with kids so he hasn't had tons of experience with them. He has shown some improvement from walking on the sidewalk across from the park and observing from a distance, but I'm struggling to desensitize him to them because I don't want to scare any children or put anyone in danger. Is there a way to safely work on this? I would really like to overcome this so we can enjoy green space in our very family-friendly neighborhood. So, Nadia, number one, if it kind of continues, I would get some help. I would get some in-person help to really work on this because it's really important to you and it's really important to your life with this dog. But also, 10 months old is a, tr- is a fragile time, and I would kind of protect this puppy from that really tough thing for the puppy. So I would have big distances. Basically, if you can access low-level exposure where the dog barely notices the kids that's best. No kids should be in danger because your dog shouldn't be close enough to the kids for them to be in danger. We tend to think that unless we are right up close having an interaction, nothing is happening or kind of no therapy is happening. The opposite is true. If you're walking through the park and a kid runs through the park, you know, half a soccer field away and your dog looks, then looks back to you, eats some food and keeps walking. That's the kind of stuff that we want to keep working towards. So, Number one, see if there's a good positive reinforcement-based trainer in your area that can help you. Number two, recognize that this is an adolescent brain that is having a hard time with this sensory input and things may simply improve on their own with just very low-level exposure. And number three, no reason to get up close, no reason to put anyone in danger. Best of luck. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.